I'm Scott. I'm Bill. And, and we're, we're the, the Trade, Trade Guys. Guys. You're listening to The Trade Guys, a podcast produced by CSIS, where we talk about trade in terms that everyone can understand. I'm H. Andrew Schwartz, and I'm here with Scott Miller and Bill Reinch, the CSIS Trade Guys. In this episode, we welcome another very special out-of-town guest. Angela Hoffman is the co-founder and co-executive director of Farmers for Free Trade. This organization supports farmers and ranchers and makes sure that they're aware of the best trade deals that will benefit them. Farmers for Free Trade is in Washington this week for their final Motorcade for Trade Tour, which has made over 50 stops across the country. They've been making the case for the USMCA and free trade on this tour since April. We'll ask Angela how the tour is going, what it's like to ride around the country in an RV, and what she's seen across this country. You'll hear all of that and much more on this episode of The Trade Guys. So which are the most annoying, the pigs or the cows? Cows. Given the choice, I'd hang out with the cows, you know, (laughs) because I never trusted the pigs. Angela, we're so happy to have you here. You're off the road, 50 stops on the Motorcade for Trade Tour. Tell us about the Motorcade for Trade Tour. Tell us what it's all about. Well, the Motorcade for Trade was really an idea that came about with a number of us who worked together on Farmers for Free Trade. And we've been working from a grassroots perspective and a lot of members of Congress um, and in districts throughout the year. Well, the opportunity really came up because in April, we decided how could we hit so many members at one time why don't we get an RV? Sounded like a crazy idea. Folks said yes. Sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. Well, the next thing we know, we're wrapping an RV with all sorts of great messaging for USMCA. We've got a farmer on the back, and and we hit the road. We started in Pennsylvania. Sure. In Lloyd Smucker's district. Where agriculture is a surprisingly large part of their economy. It is a huge part of the economy. In the Smucker's district. Yes. Okay. At, at a large dairy farm there at Crater Farms. and But it's also ag equipment. And it's Christmas trees and other items that really depend on trade. Yeah. And we launched the tour there. We did our first sort of 5,000 miles, we thought that would be an audacious goal, hit 10 states, landed in Montana after crossing over the High Line and multiple member districts. And it works so well, frankly, that members across the country and both parties have been asking us to do these events. So an idea just so crazy it might work. It might Congratulations. work. Congratulations. Right. Yeah, seriously, that's amazing. So this is a really important question, but was the soundtrack, Johnny Cash, I've Been Everywhere, that had to be on the playlist. Oh, that was on the playlist among a number of stories and songs. And um, But I'll tell you, the one we just hit, I was really excited about. We were in Pennsylvania in Old Town Road. We actually were on Old Town Road. So we not only got the picture, but we had the soundtrack going. That's amazing. They did. They can do She Thinks My Tractor is Sexy. Okay. The Green Tractor. I mean, there's all kinds of yeah. ones you can do. And Mamas this. Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Congressmen. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. Yeah, but that, their, their idea is to get the congressman on board. I understand. So did, and they so, have been on board. Well, so tell me about that. So, did yeah, it work? What's the, what's the effect been, do you think? So the effect's been sort of great. The RV itself, there's this amazing woman farmer in the back, and we've nicknamed her Ruth. She just seems like a Ruth. I'm not sure that's her real name. You mean a picture, not a lot. There, there's like a, a giant picture of this farmer on the back and this trade stat, about 14 million jobs. But inside, we also have a map of the country. And it has become sort of a thing where members of Congress and secretaries of ag have come inside the RV, they've ridden along, they put their state on the map, and they've they become very prideful that we've been coming through their district. Um, we've been on all types of farms. We've been in pecan groves, we've been in dairy farms, we've had more farm animals participating. Kevin Brady got, you know, one with a, a farm dog in front of us named Roscoe who decided to be part of his panel session. So 
um, we've had these community members coming together and offering up these locations across the country. And the members love it because they get to be in their home districts real with America. their members. It's real America. Now, what are the themes that you hear consistently? You know, you've made a lot of stops on a lot of miles. What are you hearing from, from the people who are out there doing the work? Well, the goal of this was to really promote the USMCA, so the right. U.S.-Canada-Mexico agreement. You know, a lot of that is just educating people that, one, we have to pass this agreement. Like members of Congress have to take it up and that this is not a spectator sport. Training needs to be something that members in their community can talk about the importance. Right. We also see a theme that it's personal. They want to talk about trade in terms of the farm, the family, the community. But the big thing we're seeing is there's just so much uncertainty. And so whether we were in Pennsylvania in April or we were on the southern border in Laredo the day before the potential implementation of new tariffs on Mexican imports, you're just seeing this huge level of disruption. Yeah, we talk about agriculture as if it's an industry. It is actually a zillion small businesses. And each of these businesses is trying to plant and act for the market. But if they can't forecast and they can't they can't plan. Well, wait a minute. They're not all small. Yeah, not Some all of them small, are huge. But, well, yeah, yeah, there are agribusiness companies, yes. But but a lot of the farm community is uh, the individual practitioners are basically independent business people, and they're all making their own decisions. And the level of uncertainty has got to be uh, uh, you know through the roof at the moment. Well, and it's not just the farmers, as you mentioned as well. It's, we've been in the tiniest towns you can possibly imagine, maybe one-stop sign-type towns. And the bankers are coming to these roundtables. They're having conversations. Hmm. They're in their coffee shop, and the coffee shop's wondering if it's going to have business that day. They're having conversations with the implement dealer, with beautiful tractors and other equipment that are sitting idle. Nobody's buying them. Um, there's a lot of conversations about what next, how am I going to spend my dollar, and then more importantly, who's going to benefit from our community or who's going to be impacted by our community. Well, how do these farmers Farmers generally feel about what's going on with the trade war. What do they think about it? Well, I think, you know, generally speaking, they, on a couple fronts, let me start with USMCA. So USMCA, they see as a no-brainer. We've had great trade with North America. They have decade-long contracts with Canada, Mexico. It's a very highly integrated supply chain from a farm perspective. Canada and Mexico are the number one, number two trading partners for exports. They've been concerned, though, and they were seeing this when we started, that there were tariffs on Canada and Mexico with respect to steel and aluminum. It didn't seem like that should be something that should be hindering trade, right? So it was a no-brainer for them to have those tariffs removed. Um, but throughout the trip also, we've had a number of the producers who have been sort of at the tip of the spear for counter retaliation. So whether you're a soybean farmer who suddenly lost your China market, or your apples or dairy or others who are caught up in other agreements even beyond North America. If you're a distiller and you've just de- designed a brand new product that you're exporting to Europe and you no longer can do that, That also affects the conversation you're having with the grains guy who's providing the product. So a lot of that disruption and the uncertainty among many trade agreements, I think, is wearing down on the industry. China certainly is a huge market as well. And they see what used to be a $20 billion trade surplus suddenly evaporate. Where are they going to get those new markets? Where are they going to sell their product? Um, What does the future look like? And it's in the beginning, it was sort of a short-term pain, long-term gain. Right now, it's a let's get something settled, one thing settled, so we can do some planning. So, and I want to ask the trade guys, given all this, Angela's hearing, let's get something done. Nothing's getting done. And these are voters, and we're coming up on an election year. And these farmers have got to be concerned. Why is nothing getting done? It's, it seems like a no-brainer. Something's got to get done. Well, there, there is something that may get done, and that's why Angela's been going around the country, USMCA. Yeah, but it hasn't yet. Well, no, but we're working on it. What's, what, Angela, what, what did you come away with? Are you optimistic about it? Now, of course, I mean, the Congress has been adjourned for six weeks. They're back today. 
But yeah. she's so been out meeting with but them you've been because meeting she's with been them. Where, where, where they are. Well, what are you hearing? Districts, so that's okay, so where are we? Are, are, are we going to get something done on USMCA? I feel pretty optimistic that we will. And literally, we were in district all month of August in the last couple of weeks. And there's an amazing number of trade fairs happening across the country. Lots of people coming together. And we were in Minnesota, and we see you know great leadership by folks like Colin Peterson working together with his entire delegation to try he's to get the us up the goal. chairman of the House Agricultural Committee. Yeah, yes. so he's got a really prominent role. You know, when we were down in Texas, we had a number of members from Kevin Brady to Henry Cuellar, and we covered the entire state in their district. So you see a bipartisanship that's happening as well. Um, I'm also really optimistic because we met with a number of new members of Congress um, in key states, and they are very pragmatic about trade. They understand the process. They're paying attention to the process. And I think, generally speaking, they are predisposed to support ag because they understand why trade is so important to their district and can put the politics aside. This is where the grassroots activity pays off because there are many members of Congress who have have been elected since the last trade vote. So the last time there was a a roll call vote on a major trade issue was Trade Promotion Authority in 2015. There's probably 200 or 250 total members of the 435-member House who are new to their jobs, who have newly elected since that vote in 2015. That's a level of turnover that we see in the Congress. And so there's there's basically no voting history on any of these members. They, they, this will be their first their first vote on a trade implementing bill. And so they, these are these are people who are who, who may or may not be open minded, but but certainly don't have a record yet and are w- wanting to hear from their constituents. This is where grassroots and intensity at the grassroots can really make a difference in success or failure. Did you run into opponents? Did you run into sort of naysayers or critics along the way? You know, not really along the way. I think some of it was the skepticism about how will this get done, how quickly will it get done, um, and who's to blame for the holdup. That would be sort of some of the general um, rhetoric you would get. But by and large, no. We were getting meetings, whether it was, again, a new member. It's hard to uh, hard to move away when an RV pulls up in front of your district office uh, yeah. <laughs> and parks out front. Um, Good strategy. Right? You're on wheels. But we also said, we'll go to you. And Did I you think, give them trucker hats? Oh, they got shirts and buttons. And Jackie Walorski actually met us in a parking lot. And I thought we were going to go inside. And she said, no, no, no. The show's right here. If they make these in my district, I'm yeah. getting on. Yeah. So Good. Home state product. That's key. You, home state product, of course. Right. Parking lots are some of the greatest and most underrated places in America. Real real business gets When you got there. a van, that's for that's sure. Right. When you got an RV. <laughs> it is. It works. Or a tailgate. Yes. And we are, and football Not that season, that would ever occur to and, anybody here. And football, no, not at all. And football season's here. Football yes, season's is. here in full force. We got college, we got the NFL, we got high school, we got it all. So did your kid win his first game? He did not win his first game, but he played very well. As a true freshman, he played very well. So thank you for that. That's asking. good. That's good. Yeah. My middle son, uh, who's in high school, did win his uh, first game of the season, and it was a big win. So uh, we're off to a pretty good start this year. Well, it sounds like Farmers for Free Trade is off to a decent start, yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you're optimistic about the thing. When they talk about delay and why is this taking so long, who do they blame? Or do they ask you who's fault of this? Well, it, there was you know a lot of perception about who holds the cards in this. Is it Nancy Pelosi or others? Is it the Democrats holding it up? Is it Has it been introduced or more? 
I think we talk a lot about the process and what that means and that we're not there to be sort of picking sides, winners and losers. What we're here is to have a conversation that both parties can roll with their sleeves and get this done when they get back from recess. That's so cool because it's educational. And one of the things about uh, trade policy is, you know, it's complicated and it's weedy. We're here this afternoon. This is Wednesday afternoon doing this. But I spent the morning uh, out at, uh, where I live in Bethesda, actually at a mall, not a parking lot, uh, talking to a bunch of senior citizens. Uh, on kind of the same thing. It wasn't USMCA specific, but uh, a lot of them, uh, they don't really know how trade works, so they don't think about it. And the more you can do that, the better it is. And I think if you just raise the, the education level, you've, you're performing a valuable public service. The one thing we can guarantee is if this goes down, uh, both parties will blame the other one. So Trump will say it's all Pelosi's fault if it doesn't pass, and the Democrats will blame the Republicans. There's no question about that. But my sense is, from listening to Angela, is this may show up on the congressional calendar and start hitting the newspapers, and there'll be people out there surprised that Congress is doing something with it. So, so there's, there's work well, to do here. On a bipartisan here. level. Yes, yeah. right. So what's, what happens tomorrow? There's a closing rally. Is that the deal? There is, in fact. So Ruthie RV, after 20,000 miles, um, will be on Capitol Hill, just outside the Botanical Garden, and we're going to be doing a final rally for trade. And it will so include... Tomorrow, for our listeners, would be Thursday, September 12th. Yes. Be there. 9.30 on the mall. Okay. And it will be hosted by a number of the members who have participated during the trip. So Colin Peterson from Minnesota and Henry Cuellar, who had us all the way to Laredo after we got all the way to uh, Arizona and then back again. Sometimes you wish you had a helicopter for these trips. How many, how many miles did you cover? Uh, over 20,000. Wow. That's a lot. And how many of you were on the actually bus. doing that on the bus? So we rotated. We generally had a team of about three coming in and out on different legs and segments. But we would cover quite a bit of territory, about 4,000 miles at a time. So did you drive, too? or You know, I did. Um, really? Yes. I avoided it for about 6,000 miles. And then West Texas, I, I got that leg. And let me tell you, that's a lot of territory to cover. Yeah. Now, there's no need to parallel park in West Texas, right? No, but there's a few <laughs> less rattlesnakes so, <laughs> that I can tell you from that's the road. That's good. Hope you had AC. We did. We did. But we would pull over. I mean, West Texas is a great example. I mean, it's when you have one of these RVs, people would call us along the way and have us pop into their farm or a ranch and met with one couple who literally called the cows around the RV, did a, a video, sent it out to all of their friends and colleagues and started talking about trade, about why it mattered to them. What's the social media for our listeners if they want to follow you? So you can follow us on Farmers for Trade on Twitter. Um, you can see the Motorcade for Trade on our website. So hashtag Motorcade for Trade. And you can see the entire journey across the country. Now, you've seen the Missouri Farm Bureau video? Yes, I did. So you did? All right. Our friend Blake Hurst. Blake's in that, right? President of Missouri Farm Bureau. Yeah. He was, was our guest. first guest on the first Trade guest. Guys. First guest on the Trade Guys. So Blake's great. We actually met up. We pulled into Missouri a couple weeks ago, dropped off about 1,000 fans that said USMCA. The things you will do at a fair when it's 110 degrees, you'll have a great fan. And they met us, did a video. The Secretary of Ag jumped on the RV and cut a video of being in Missouri. So they've been a great supporter. That raises a good question. Who are your sponsors? So Farmers for Free Trade is really sort of a compilation. We are 501c4 and co-chaired, launched by Senator Max Baucus and the late Richard Luger. So we've been bipartisan from the beginning, and that's really been the right. objective. And we're supported by the Farm Bureau, American Soybean Association, U.S. Apple, Corn Growers, Wheat Growers, kind of the broad crops um, writ large. And they actually, their members hosted us throughout the country. And so it was. we were really in their home districts and in their hometowns and, and in their homes throughout this journey. Angela, you think USMCA, or USMACA, as Scott calls it, is going to pass. 
Scott, you think it's going to pass? Well, you know, uh, just thinking, Bill, Bill and I have had this conversation. We've talked about USMCA for a lot in the last year on this program. And uh, I've always been more skeptical and more, more, a little more gloomy than Bill has about the prospects. I'm very encouraged by what you're saying. And what I particularly uh, uh, warm to is the business-like approach that members and staff and the administration officials are taking to this. They're identifying the problems, they're trying to solve them, they're trying to work through people's issues. And when that happens, you add a little political intensity and you can get a lot of things done. So I, I still am probably a little gloomier than, than Bill, a little more, uh, a little worried about the, its final fate. But all this is, uh, is, I think, good optics. And I've been waiting for, I've been waiting for the energy to uh, get behind the agreement. Uh, and, it, and it sounds like you're helping to provide that. So that's, I think, great. Well, and you followed up, you know, I'm optimistic, but it has to pass. I mean, what we've seen in these districts, there are farmers going out of business across the country. The reality of the situation in ag country is dire. We've had you know, great rallies and conversations, but we've also had tears. And we've had people who are losing the farm. They're watching their neighbors go out of business. I mean, this is one thing that they see as something they can hope for to bring some stability to that market. Is that message getting to the White House and to the Congress, that there, there are people really losing their livelihoods and their farms? I believe so. And this is the fifth or sixth straight year of, of declines in farm income overall. So this is a problem that needs to be solved. Yeah, absolutely. Bill, what's your what's your prediction here? You're, I, you're uh, not as gloomy. I've been optimistic because of the body language uh, on the Democratic side, and I'm still, I'm still optimistic. I think people haven't noticed, but Pelosi's done two really important things to move this along. Uh, and we, I think we talked about these, this once before. In the spring, she said that the debate's only going to be about the agreement. And it's, you know, it's, it's traditional in the Congress. If the party out of the White House owns part of the Congress, they hold everything for ransom. That's just what you do. The president wants something, he has to pay. Uh, and usually there's two prices. You know, the bill has to be the way we want it. But then there's some other price, you know, uh, a tax measure or something else. In, in the current case, don't build the wall or, you know, or do something on drug prices, whatever. And what Pelosi said in, in March or April, which nobody paid any attention to, was she said, we're not going to do that on USMCA. The debate's going to be just about the agreement. And that's a huge gift to the administration. It said, we are not going to give you a hard time and hold this hostage for extraneous stuff. She also, by saying that, eliminated a whole internal debate in the Democratic Party over what the ransom would be, because there's a lot of different things you could put on the table. The next thing she's done this summer, which I think is a very uh, clever job of narrowing the problems down to four things. And, you know, if you look at the agreement, there's a lot more than four things you could talk about in that agreement. And there are people that are upset. There are, there are farmers that are, there are dairy people that are upset that don't think they got enough. Of course, then there's the Canadians who think they got too much. You know, that's another story. But what she has successfully done is she's focused this working group uh, down on just four things. And everything else has sort of been tossed aside. And um, as we've noticed, the beauty of the working group is it's not just pro-trade people who are going to be, you know, pushovers. With, there's with some real skeptics on that. There's some major skeptics in there, beginning with Rosa DeLauro. And so far, they're all on board with the process. They're on board with what they're doing. And I think if you can get a conclusion in which the administration and the group agrees on a path forward, then I think you're going to have a constituency in the Democratic Party to vote for it. Not everybody, no, right. by any means. But enough enough votes enough. To, for, for the Speaker, Speaker Pelosi, to bring the bill to the floor without harming her caucus. 
Today's news was that Ambassador Lighthizer is supposed to be talking to Ways and Means Committee Chairman Neal this week, and that the working group expects to meet with, with Lighthizer next week. And what I'm hearing is that if they can reach agreement on, on what has to happen, they, the staff thinks it takes maybe a month or so to get the bill into shape for introduction. So my theory now is you negotiate in September, you draft in October, or redraft, uh, because they've been drafting, and you vote in November. I'm opt- there are landmines, and we've been through this before. One we talked about before we began uh, today, which was there are more and more Democrats, as the election gets closer, there are more and more Democrats saying we just can't give Trump a victory on anything. Well, that was my question. So is Pelosi prepared to give Trump a victory, even if it's the right thing to do? Well, so far what I'm hearing is yes, because it's not just his victory. There's a lot of, and Angela can speak to this, there are a lot of Democratic uh, moderate members, particularly freshmen, uh, who want this. And the, uh, and the their district element, wants it. The other element is so far, uh, the, the president has delegated this to Ambassador Lighthizer, and he's managed it very professionally and very deftly. And he's he's kept it out of the headlines. He's kept it out of the Twitter stream. So sure, but, that's in good. The, but, but in the end, we all know that this will be President Trump's big, beautiful trade deal with Mexico and Canada, which he's renamed and, right. you oh, know, yes. and won't be calling you SMACA. Right. And, you know, it'll be a big, beautiful, the greatest deal in the history of mankind. And it'll be his deal. It won't be Lighthizer's deal. It won't be the Democrats' deal. It'll be his deal. And are they prepared for that? Well, I think they'll say it's their deal. I mean, with the, the stra- their strategy. Well, he's got a much louder voice and he's got a bigger, well, he does, he's got a bigger platform. As speaking from a democratic perspective, since that's been my life, you know, China's going to implode. So he'll have plenty of bad things to talk about. Uh, you know, give him a victory. And we'll, the Democrats can talk about it, China. It'll be all right. And, okay. Uh, okay. okay. But I think, you know, the democratic strategy from the beginning has been to say it's not good enough. You didn't do a good enough job and now you have to fix it. And that's what this negotiation is about. And if they reach an agreement, the Democrats will say, all right, we made you fix it. And, and now it's better. You fixed the way we told you to. And, it's, and, and, and you're right. We're the okay. The president's got a bigger microphone. But that's what they'll say. And for Pelosi, keep in mind, if you're running the House, you've got more than one agenda. Sure, you've got to worry about the president. But job number one for the Speaker of the House is to make sure the Democrats retain the majority. And these moderate members. And she's got to work on her members and getting them reelected. And the moderates are her majority maker. Yes. It's the 31 freshman members who won a district that Trump won in 2016. Yeah, it's absolutely not lost on on Nancy Pelosi that the Democrats' victory in 2018 was not because of the AOC coalition. It was because of moderates and centrist people. And she wants to say speaker. Those are the people she has to have to be reelected. And these are the people you've been talking to, I think. Yes, very much so. We've met with so many of those members in the districts, whether you're in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Minnesota, Iowa, So not even not even where you'd expect Iowa, Nebraska, et cetera. But listen to what she said. Michigan. Pennsylvania. These are actually in those part agriculture states. These are agriculture they states. Are, oh, yeah. Those are swing states. Yes, those are exactly. states that are in play. Those are states that Democrats care very much about. All those cherry people in Michigan. Did you talk to some of them or do you miss the fruit people? Dairy. dairy. We were we were in the thumb of Michigan in Cass City on a wheat farm there in a blizzard of all things, but we were going to get through no matter what. Yeah, did you go up in yeah. the Upper Peninsula and over to Minnesota that way or did you go down through Chicago um, in Illinois? So when we did the first round out, we actually kind of zigzagged back across. So we went from 
Cassidy into Kalamazoo and then dropped down, met with Fred Upton at a great place oh, right. there. And then we went into Indiana and then made yeah, the loop back up. Fred's at the, right in the corner where Michigan and Lake Michigan and Indiana all come together. Absolutely. Now, I've been to places I'd never imagined we'd go. And then we were up at a dairy farm with Ron Kind um, in La Crosse, Wisconsin. So we had literally zigzagged across the, the northern high line. So what did you like the best? The people. I mean, this has been one of those things where you think you're going to take off on an adventure and you really underestimate how so profoundly impacted you are personally. And these have been families, I mean, multiple generations who are very proud of what they do. They're proud to have you in their home. They are struggling. They care. Um, And they've just been so open and generous and honest with their time. The other thing that that was very heartwarming is that they were bringing their community members in. So these these are pretty organic. I mean, we'll kind of look at the stop and we have we have a agenda where we're going, but we let them shape it up. So we've had, again, bankers coming in. They've had friends and family. We've had state and local legislators, which has been really interesting because we're talking about Congress, but the member of state assembly members who have been part of this process has been fascinating. We have governors who have been involved. We have state directors of agriculture. So this issue has become sort of as you've said, we have to simplify the way we talk about trade. Right. And when you talk about it in a way that's personal to your community and your family, it's an entirely different dialogue that happens. And people really care about these issues. And they're also really counting on their members of Congress to do something about it. What were you hearing about from people on the West Coast? So on the West Coast, um, I missed out on the leg. My colleague got that one going through Napa. Straw that for me. I know, right? So you missed the wine uh-huh. industry. Yeah, that's exactly. too bad. Exactly. Perhaps we went through a little bit of that when we got into Washington State. But, yeah, okay. But on the West Coast, but we were, um, I can speak to Oregon. So yeah. Oregon was really, really interesting. And we actually did an event in the middle of Oregon, sort of way back and left off of nowhere with um, Senator Wyden. And he had a town hall. So several of the members would have us come to their town hall meetings. Wow. We'd park the RV out front in a little pavilion in the little town. And then we would help them have the conversation about trade with their community members. Um, he was very optimistic and similarly wanted to say that we can get this done in a bipartisan basis and a lot of momentum. Um, then we crossed into Washington State. In fact, we were on the 4th of July and you can't make this up, we were in George Washington. George, Washington. George, Washington. Wow. At the 4th, <laughs> and we were in the 4th of July, of July parade. parade. Of course. Of course. Because That's what, what one you put does. the RV, right. Of course. Yes. Because they have the 1,000-pound cherry pie cutting contest. Okay. And you were the, the parade float for the cherry pie. Well, basically. we were there with the Secretary of Ag who was doing that, and we were, yeah, we were in the parade in the That's RV. Time. I mean, it was great stuff. So well, many things you can how do was, with an How was the pie? Most important question. It was a really big pie. It was delicious, of course. Yeah. That's but big time. That's a what you're talking pound about. Pie? Thousand pound pie. And we'll be waiting for the Trade Guys RV to take you for a ride the next yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> we got to go we gotta get, we gotta get a Trade Guys RV. No that, question that's, about ha- it. that's happening. Done deal. Um, Angela, before you go, I need to ask you, beyond USMCA, what do American farmers need to succeed in an increasingly chaotic trade arena? Well, there's two things. They need markets. Keep in mind, we had a $20 billion ag surplus. So they need those markets, and they need stability. These are long-term contracts. These are long-term relationships. It took decades to open markets like China and around the world. It's taken seconds to destroy them. And that's what's at risk. That's what we're losing. 
the relationships get lost. Uh, the other the the buyers build new ones with the Brazilians in the case of soybeans or somebody else, and then trying to go back to the status quo ante turns out to be much more difficult. That's Absolutely. an incredible statement you just made. Decades to open them up, seconds to destroy them. We hear it over and over and over. Once you lose a market, it's hard to get it back. And yeah. I have signed banners from across the country with farmers who have said that in every single one of these stops. Yeah, Bill always says you can't turn the light switch on and off so easily. Well, exactly. And mostly we say that about manufacturing, but this is exactly the same. same Markets story. are not easily arranged. Right. And you're right. If they go, which is, you know, snap of a finger, or actually a tweet, and they're gone, then rebuilding them is going to take a year, years. Yes. Finding suppliers work. is hard. Becoming a qualified supplier is, is very hard, time-consuming. It's a relationship business. It takes a long time to develop in almost any industry. Certainly, agriculture, farm-to-table, a lot of customer-supplier relationships that have evolved over the years, that have strengthened over the years, that can be severed very quickly. Well. Angela, this has been my favorite episode of The Trade Guys. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much. To our listeners, if you have a question for The Trade Guys, write us at tradeguys at csis.org. That's tradeguys at csis.org. We'll read some of your emails and have The Trade Guys react to it. We're also now on Spotify, so you can find us there when you're listening to the Rolling Stones or you're listening to Tom Petty or whatever you're listening to. Thank you, Trade Guys. Thanks, Thank you. Andrew. You've been listening to The Trade Guys, a CSIS podcast.